My name is Charlie Styles. I come from England and I lead the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics, or OCA for short. Charlie, Charlie Styles, welcome to our library and welcome to the podcast, the Stone Chapel Podcast. Great. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great just having a little bit of a look around, getting a feel as to what God's been doing here. This is your first time here. It's my first time here at the library. It's my first time in Texas. It is the first time in Texas. Well, and you got riding a pickup truck. I did. I did. It was <laughs> it was everything I expected. Everything you expected. Now, we don't have any horses here, but, you know, that's always overblown anyway. So not everybody here in Texas has a horse. I'm disappointed to hear that. Everybody has a pickup truck almost, though. <laughs> it's great to see you. You're here because you're part of a lecture weekend with Mark Lanier. He's doing his, me talking about his book and elements of his book, Atheism on Trial. You're going to be on the, the panel to discussion tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's a helpful book, I think particularly coming from Mark's own legal background, but also we've seen, we're seeing just astonishing increase in the number of people who are either saying they're atheists or certainly say they have no faith or don't believe in any sort of God or supreme being of some sort so it's completely relevant to our time yeah for those who don't know you let's just kind of begin with yeah. with who is charlie styles great so i'm married to sophie we have three children and we live in this idyllic little cottage in the cotswolds in england and it is everything you kind of would think is quintessentially english it's a stone cottage with a log burning stove and uh, we are on one end of the building the other end uh, are horses and we're also, bizarrely, just next to the Cotswold Wildlife Park. So when I go to put the bins out once a week, I sometimes hear the, the wolves howling just next door. Oh, really? That does sound pretty idyllic. It wasn't quite expected, though. It's not what you, what you think you're going to find as you live just in the middle of English countryside. Now, you have been a minister in the Church of England there. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, thank you. So it was probably about 20 years ago that um, I was um, leading the Christian Union at my university and... One of the college chaplains at Durham came up to me and said, um, I think you should come and see me. I think maybe God might be calling you to, to get ordained. Um, hmm. Now, I was pretty sure I didn't want to do that because my dad was ordained. So he'd, he'd been a, he was an Anglican minister. And you know that thing where you're in that sort of stage, you're growing up, you've just moved away from home, you definitely don't want to follow in your dad's footsteps. <laughs> and yet God had other plans. Yeah. So actually it was while I was working in a brethren church, but just in the northeast of England, um, that I kind of went through the process and I kind of went to all these different selection panels and, and residentials thinking, God, I'll do it if you want me to. I'm not so sure. And uh, evidently that was God's plan because then for the last 13 years, I've been working first as an assistant pastor and then for the last nine years in Lutterworth in Leicestershire. Now, today you find yourself working at and the executive director of the ACA Center there, which stands for the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. And you spell the word center correctly, C-E-N-T-R-E. We, we do. We do. Um, we've, we, try to, we try to educate our brothers across the pond. But um, yeah, it's funny, you know, the number of academic terms, center, program. Yep. All, the, all of those, all those. So there's a lot of folks who have heard of the ACA Center, but don't really know what it does exactly. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the idea first came about um, 
with um, a few friends who were mostly uh, were in Oxford, mostly connected with Wycliffe Hall. And it was the time that um, Professor Alastair McGrath was the mm. principal there. And Wycliffe Hall, like so many other theological seminaries, they, they mostly focus on raising up pastor teachers. And, of course, that's also what mm. most denominations do, because they're the people you need <laughs> kind of coming through. And as you might find in a lot of churches, that it takes quite a long time down the list after the kind of administrator and the youth worker and the family's worker and the worship pastor that people go, oh, maybe we need to think about beefing up our outreach. But they had this real vision to set up a a centre. And originally it was called the Oxford Centre for Evangelism and Apologetics. They got rid of a few of the the syllables. Um, And Alice McGrath was its first um, director. And a a well-known university evangelist, Michael Green, who had been vicar of St. Aldate's Church, um, they were the first sort of two main staff. And originally it was just based in an upper room above a shop. And God really blessed it as they sought to think, how can we equip the church I suppose primarily in the UK to begin with, but then, of course, with Oxford being an international centre with more and more people coming in, how do we find people and equip them, particularly in relevant and persuasive evangelism? I've been to Oxford a number of times, and I'm always amazed by the number of people who are there, a lot of times visitors, but also students, but coming from so many different cultures, backgrounds, races, all of that. The world comes to Oxford. It does, and... It's not a very big place, and yet its its influence has been felt. I mean, actually, the, the church where I was rector, um, I, I was rector in the early 21st century, um, but you go back about six, 700 years, and you find John Wycliffe, and he'd been the rector there, and, and before he was in Oxford, when it was arguably the leading, or certainly one of the top two universities in the world, and really for the last seven, 800 years, Oxford had been this place of sending people out. And its influence has been felt through a number of, of academics, going all the way back to Wycliffe and before, who taught. And because it was a place that sort of drew people in who wanted to learn and study, loads of new ideas were developed. And therefore, that's where Methodism got started and so much of the Reformation. You've got the mm. Martyrs Memorial just there in the centre as a real place of that. And I think we're just carrying on that legacy, really, of being a generous place, almost like a beating heart, where you, you draw everybody in, you fire them up, excite them, particularly bringing a lot of younger people, equipping them, and then they go out and they mm. start all sorts of amazing things. And they go all over the world. They go to every continent pretty much, except maybe Antarctica. I don't know. Maybe they do. I'm sure we have. You probably have some people <laughs> in Antarctica, I would uh, suppose. So how long have you been the chief executive? Uh, less than a year. Less than a year. Yeah. So this is fairly, fairly new for you. This d- definitely differs from parish ministry in many, many ways, but the mission of it is really critical. If you were to state the mission in just sort of a sentence or two, what would you say it is? So we want to do two different things which are which overlap. They're almost two sides of the same coin. One is to engage the world, and the other is to equip the church. Hmm. So we're not primarily an academic center. We're not just studying, and we're not coming out with vast academic tomes, although a number of our people do write many books. We are also people who want to really be out there, sort of going out, speaking the word of God in lots of different contexts. And we call it engage rather than just evangelize because some of it is, it's almost pre-evangelism. It's getting out there with cultural connections, um, trying to understand really what's going on. So this in, in the academy where I think many other academics would be very concerned if we were openly going, we're coming to evangelize you. But we want yeah. to be there where we're able to engage with sort of top level scholarship. And so a number of ours, um, two of them work for the university as well as work for us. 
um, a number of people are studying either either at Oxford University or other universities. And so, whilst we're not primarily academics, we want to be informed by the the latest uh, sort of academic study, what's coming out of of universities. But also, we want to be equally happy going as some of our stu- staff do regularly to the YMCA cafe with people who are who are homeless um, or sleeping rough on the streets mm. or where I was just a couple of months ago in a sex offenders prison with people who are of, mm. you know the whole of society including their families for the most part have turned on them because of the mistakes they've made and the terrible things they've done we want to be able to speak there so we want to really be engaging with people at every level of society and so we have people who go and speak in in parliament or in some of the very well-known kind of international businesses but also we want to just go to the local church where there's a group of people who are passionate about reaching their friends and are struggling to know how to do so. As, as you think about the future, where is the future headed for ACA? Yes, yeah, so I think it is in that breadth. So we've just recruited a number of new, um, new evangelists to work with us. And so we've got somebody who's come from um, uh, leading a new intensive care across the city which if you imagine what the last three years have been like in intensive care, you yeah, can just really. get an idea of what he's been doing the last few years. We've got somebody who's coming in having led RE and philosophy in a, in a secondary school because we know that the minds of young people is a battleground at the moment. Mm. And so we want, to be, we want to be equipped to really speak into the youth of today. We've got somebody who's come in with a background of gangs and drug addiction so that we are able to speak with, with some credibility um, to all different people in our society, mm. as well, of course, as recruiting people who are academics. And so, two of our staff are just uh, are halfway through PhDs, and so that's a you know exciting thing for us to be saying. Right, we really want to be making sure we're able to connect properly mm. and have a proper understanding of what's going on. Now, you mentioned Alistair McGrath earlier. He's been here before to lecture at the library at least three times, I think. Uh, we have Sharon Dirks, who I think is associated with you guys. She's coming pretty soon. We had John Lennox lined up, and something happened, and he's not able to come this year, but we are hoping to be able to next year. Uh, you, you've got a lot of great associates over there. Uh, no, it's wonderful. So our, wi- our sort of wider speaking team is about 15 people. We have um, nine on staff. Um, John Lennox is our chaplain, and so he's got two roles, one of which is to continue the great work he's done, particularly in the area of philosophy of science and speaking credibly there, having obviously debated some high-profile atheists mm-hmm. as well as written, writing some great books. He was, he was really devastated, actually, not better come out um, last month. Yeah, me and his wife ganged up on him and told him he had to do what the doctor said. Exactly. But, uh, I'm glad you did. Hoping to I'm be glad able to you come did. Out. Yeah, he did a podcast with us a while back on, uh, and we'll put we'll put some uh, something in our show notes about it. But on artificial intelligence, mm. which I know he's been thinking a lot about, and sort of what the future of humanity is in relationship to that. But uh, he, he's a delightful guy. Well, Wonderful AI guy. would be one of those spaces where there's really interesting things happening in so many different parts of our culture. So you've got popular culture with sci-fi really trying to investigate both the ethical realities of what might happen as as we kind of have smarter and smarter objects, mm-hmm. um, but also what's actually happening right now in the academy, both in the ability of AI to better predict trends of thinking or even influence um, through social media, influence the outcome of elections. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the stuff that's happening in things that are associated with the university in, in Oxford and Cambridge, and it's and of course many many colleges over here, um, because it's it's it, this stuff is it is real and it's at every level. And now most of us have a very high powered gadget 
in our pockets mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. is listening to us. We tell it to turn on light bulbs, but we also don't realize how much it's understanding about us from the the way we spend money, the way that we view content. Yeah, And actually, that would be the sort of place Ocker wants to be, which is saying, okay, this is all going on. Okay, how do we bring what we think about and what we know from Scripture about the world, about humanity? Mm. How is this both something that we can use for good, but also at times be really quite careful of. Mm-hmm. And so one of the big things that we, we're doing at the moment is is branching out with something called Thinking Faith, which is trying to try to reach out on social media, showing the relevance of Christianity to the conversations of today. And that's quite rapid response. I don't know if you've seen short shorts on YouTube or, or reels on Instagram or these various kind of quick TikTok videos where actually we, we, there's a space where new things are being developed people are thinking people are investigating that's how people now are learning information uh, most people under the age of 30 are, are, are not getting their news from mainstream media they're right. getting it from social media and frankly far too often the christian world and some of our best theologians are in the academy writing their books that will be published in three years time and, and the slant that they get about the world is certainly not a slant typically that christians would want to embrace in terms of so, what social media is trying to influence them to think about. Yeah, and I'd say that both in content and in style. Mm-hmm. So even some of the some of the Christian outreach that's trying to break into that space often ends up actually being in a form that I think I'd be quite uncomfortable with. So again, mm-hmm. we'll come back mm-hmm. to 1 Peter 3.15 as our go-to verse. Always be prepared to give a, a reason to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have but do it with gentleness and respect. And mm. social media, for the most part, doesn't lend itself to that. So even sometimes when you find something short and pithy on social media that you agree with, at least I end up feeling quite uncomfortable with the tone in which it's presented. Mm. And often we, one mm. of the things that we've, we're saying at Ocker is we want to avoid the gotcha. And mm. social media massively leans into the yeah. sweeping statements, win the, win the knockdown argument, come up with something clever, show that everyone else is stupid and that you're, you're the cleverest. And right. That, that, that tone is not, no, that tone does not work, really. Yeah. So in, t- in terms of what we've been talking about, what are some things you're trying to do at ACA that are different and distinct? I mean, I wouldn't want to claim that we're unique, but I do think there are some things that we've learned from doing it badly um, from some of the things that have landed well, and, and from from particularly our place, I suppose, in Oxford. We actually, we look over to America, um, for example, so it's very interesting. There's ways in which the U.S. church is, I think, in some ways, stronger or f- more advanced than the British church, I think particularly in terms of some of their setting up and investment in big institutions, I think financial generosity, and there's loads to be learned. But also there are some things that we think are these cautionary tales for us, particularly mm-hmm. say around the culture war and how particular worldviews and particular regions have become almost overtly and primarily at times political. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to work out how can we do this in a way that, we, that we're kind of learning from all that's going on, the, great, the best practice we see around the world. Mm-hmm. And one of the really big principles for us is, is this is this idea of listening before we're speaking. And you know that thing where you're in an argument where you're listening just in order to respond? Right, well, right. So I think the wheels are turning and you're trying, what is my response going to be to this, right? It, it, but it, it, again, is sort of based upon the gotcha, right? That is the danger, absolutely. That, I mean, that's, that's sort of, we're being, we're being groomed and shaped that way so much. Well, particularly but, if I think we buy into the idea of a culture war. Mm-hmm. Now, we do, there's loads of good, helpful biblical language about spiritual battle 
about the fact that actually there is the devil is a, a prowling lion and he wants to get us and he wants to destroy us. Mm. But it's interesting how Jesus um, he stood firm and he did fight, but he never never picked up the weapons of the world. And I'd argue that sometimes what we do with the gotcha is we end up picking up worldly weapons, and we want to do really deep listening because at the heart even of people who I think we'd often find are on the opposite side of a political or ethical debate Mm -hmm. at heart often we find that there are some things we've got very significantly in common yeah and paradoxically sometimes we find ourselves co-belligerent argue on the same side as people with whom we have pretty fundamental disagreements Mm -hmm. and yet you can end up in bed with them because they kind of you're agreeing on this particular topic and then you find yourself drawn down something that is really unhelpful and so I think listening before speaking and listening quite deeply before responding. And yet I don't think that means taking forever to get come up with an answer because the conversation's moved on. There's a, a basic rule in the news cycle, which is you've got there's there's a number of windows, one of which is about twenty four to thirty six hours after something happens. Mm-hmm. And that's everything from the you know the the pound being effectively devalued and everybody wondering where well how on earth they're gonna pay their mortgage or there's a slap at the Oscars that suddenly everybody's talking about. There's, there's this window, 24 to 36 hours, yeah. where you can get involved and you can say something. I think one of the jobs of Christians, particularly of apologists, is to be think about those, those things before they come. So we didn't know for sure that there would be a war in Ukraine, although everyone says we really should have done if we'd been paying attention. Yeah, yeah. But we do know there will be wars. Mm-hmm. Um, we know there'll be wars. We know that there have been wars ever since Jesus' time, and there will be, in fact, we know, as signs of the, la- the last times. So wh- where is our kind of prepared and thought-through response mm-hmm. so that we can then respond specifically to this war? So do you have, as a part of, as a part of what you're doing, do you have a p- position papers on things like that? So we are working on things on a number of different levels. So one of which is we're doing these research papers, which are more giving some of the academic background. And that's everything from where is the debate in the existence of God in the academy at the moment. And so someone like Dr. Max Baker-Heitch, one of our team, who also lectures at the Faculty of Philosophy, he will be presenting us with sort of where things are at. And then our job, we see as Ocker, is to popularise that, to simplify it in a way that is not simplistic so that we can present it. So that when there's a famous you know, writer or somebody who decides that, you know, who decides they're now suddenly become a Christian or... There was a really interesting thing just a few years ago about Russell Brand and where he stood with God. And um, mm. we've got an opportunity to actually speak in at that point. So you're prepared when the things then come up. That's smart. Yeah, that's very um, bright. And some of that's the same. So it's the same with people talking about gender. Talking about gender and gender being a social construct. have been around in the academy for, I don't know, at least 40 years and probably quite a lot more than that, mm-hmm. although I wouldn't claim great expertise. And yet it's really only in the last five to ten years that it's become normal as part of the conversation Mm -hmm. and therefore what so often happens is um well you could trace it back almost for your average kind of pastor you know average pastor was in in, what seminary what 10 years ago you know maybe they did three five years an assistant pastor somewhere now they've been a pastor a few years so they were they were at seminary about say 10 years ago and their lecturers well they were writing their kind of phds and they're studying what five ten years before that which means they're doing that in response to the topics of their time which means that your average pastor if they're lucky is their training is training them for the debates of 20 years ago. Mm. And what we need to do is we need to give them people skills, not answers, 
Mm. I mean, helping them answer things, mm. but giving them people skills, giving people some background and continued professional education development for people so that they're ready for the topics that are coming down the line. I mean, in the UK, the Gender Recognition Act was in uh, 1997. It was one of the first things that Tony Blair brought in when he was prime minister. Most people didn't even realise it happened. Mm. But it meant that very easily you could have your legal gender changed. It took another 20 years before that really came to the cultural mm. fore and then be- began impacting athletics right, and right, everything. Right. Why are we not thinking about these things in advance? And one of the things Ock wants to do is we want to be there as part of the conversation really mm. early on. Not claiming we've got every answer in the world, but saying we, we, we're listening, we're paying attention. Mm-hmm. And actually we believe that, we believe that the, the, the world needs to hear actually the eternal truths of God speak in here and needs to hear yeah. in language and in concepts that begin to make sense. Yeah. And that's where I think apologetics is. It's not merely defending. It's actually being proactive, moving from the back foot onto the front foot. That's, that's excellent. I wrote a book a few years ago called Slow to Judge, Sometimes It's Okay to Listen. And <laughs> I par- love it. Part of the uh, inspiration for that was the passage out of James, Be, be Quick to listen, but mm. slow to speak. Yeah. So I think that's great wisdom right there. Mm. How would you go about getting more information? Who do I talk to about Aka? Yeah, we are on social media and various things, and uh, we're increasingly putting out content on YouTube. But if you're best place to find us, our website, theaka.org. Theaka.org. How are you guys funded? All by individuals. Uh, a few trusts at times, okay. Um, but people who come all to our events uh, or people who, who want to support our speakers and the work that we do, um, it's all just donations. We don't have any endowments or anything like that. Reverend Charlie Stiles, thanks for being with us today on The Stone Chapel. Thanks so much. It's been great being with you. What a great conversation day. I hope you agree. Only 168 hours until the next podcast drops. I can't wait. Subscribe to our podcast. Rate us. It give other people the opportunity to find us. Tell a friend about us as well. Thanks to the Lanier Foundation, Jocelyn Solis, Phil Keggy, and Kathy Capes who helped make this podcast possible. Until next time, thanks for listening. Have no fear. At Ocker, we always return to the verse from 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason that the hope that you have. The context there is that the Christian church of the time is embattled and that it'd be very easy to be overwhelmed by fear. So Peter begins by saying, Have no fear, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Christ is on the throne. He is Lord. And therefore, no matter what the world throws at us, we need have no fear.